Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to Tuesday Trots Live with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. Join the conversation today and text us on 0499 736 736. Yes, welcome to Trots Life and 0499 736 736 remains the number that you must text if you'd like to have a conversation. And I'm going to raise something in a moment, do my first breezing with Bon in a few weeks that might, uh, might incite a little bit of a conversation. Plenty of guests after that as we wind up towards another Regional feature. I know we've got the Geelong, uh, the Geelong Thoroughbred Cup. I think it is today, isn't it? Um, but uh, on the weekend, the Geelong Cup for the trots will be going around as well. So a big time for the City of Dreams, my real, imagined and spiritual home down there in Detroit. But for now, let's get stuck into the Breezing with Bond. On Trot's Life, Breezing with Bond. Uh-uh. Right. Seven, or perhaps eight years ago, when Alistair Clarkson was a god among men and Tony Abbott was chowing down on raw onions as Australian PM, I penned my first article about the pending revolution in Australasian harness racing. The names escaped me, to be honest. It was a fair while ago. And they're probably irrelevant. But the theme is what matters for today's dissertation, otherwise known as a breeze. That theme was focused on four-year-old standard breads. And I know I discuss this a lot, so everyone just calm down. But we, we're going to go down a different angle here. And their relatively dramatic domination of Southern Hemisphere harness racing's most important races. Since then, that trend has reached levels few pundits, including myself, could possibly have foreseen or predicted. For context, knowing that some of today's listeners won't be quite as consumed by this game we call the trots as others... Something very significant has transpired in recent years. Once upon a rainbow, the Holy Grail races, those given grand circuit status, remained the definitive domain of standard bred warriors. Back then, the path was well-travelled and very well understood. Talented youngsters with the world at their feet tackled their juvenile events and targeted their derbies, but once they hit the big time, a penance must be paid. Almost all the heroes I grew up idolising, these are horse heroes, not human heroes, horse heroes, uh, and this trend was even more defined prior to my interest, all faced the same rite of passage. They must contest Australia's most revered or Australasia's most revered and relevant open-class events in their youth, fail as nature said they must, then, if resilient enough, return in coming years to confirm their reputations and their worth. The way that it generally went was, as a four-year-old, for instance, you you might have a crack at a couple of races. Maybe as a five-year-old, you'd run second or third in a hunter cup. You might run top three, top four in a miracle mile, whatever the case might be. And then you'd have to you'd, you'd have to go through that period, basically like you often see with uh, with footy teams. 
who get to the finals, get to a prelim, uh, don't win it that year, then have to come back. And if they're good enough, have another crack at it after that. Very few teams, although there's been more in recent years, a little bit like the Trots, turn up at their first real crack at um, finals footy and are able to win the big one, the granny, the big dance. Right, back on track. This path that I've just mentioned, it no longer exists. These days, as in right now, four-year-olds rule the roost. And again, to make a little bit of a, like a footy analogy, it's, it's like having 20, 21-year-olds all being the best players in the game. This isn't a subjective standpoint either. It's pure empirical fact. As I speak, Rock and Roll Do, the recent Victoria Cup champ, has flown across the Tasman and looks at enormous chance of defying decades upon decades of history by claiming next month's New Zealand Cup despite his Australian heritage. Well, there is some Kiwi blood there, but you know what I'm saying. Trained by Michael Stanley here on Australian shores. Only one other uh, only one other horse in recent memory from Australia, Arden Rooney, was able to do the job. And prior to that, it had been a long, long, long time. And uh, and some wouldn't even include uh, Flashing Red into the, into the mix as an Australian horse that went over there and won the New Zealand Cup. He is four, by the way, rock and roll too. Ladies in red has assumed her place as this nation's most highly rated pacer, with many believing she'll beat the boys at Grand Circuit level when her time comes to do so early next year. She is four. Elder Baron Zeus has already tasted open-class Group 1 success, while Prizzy and Artiste, and particularly Queen Elida, are considered even more likely to inherit the square-gating earth in what seems a bloodless coup. Each and all of those aforementioned horses are, you guessed it, four years of age. I could go on, but the point proffered is patently clear. Forget the change of seasons. Forget the altered calendar. Because I know some people will be arguing these horses aren't four. They're actually five under the old calendar. But it's really pseudo-irrelevant, I think, under these circumstances. Young guns dominating our sport the way they have in North America forever now acts as our unquestionable reality. At this juncture, most who have endured my many breezes over the last year or so will passionately predict as I mentioned earlier, that I'm raising this much-loved subject of mine as a precursor to what will befall us as the season closes. And, yes, I remain perturbed at the fact two feature four-year-old events now virtually coincide with the infinitely more marketable Inter-Dominion series. It shouldn't be that way, in my opinion. And, yes, it frustrates me that these amazing four-year-olds will choose divergent paths, given all sports worth their salt thrive on debate-ending or debate-creating contests, contests which the current calendar deprives us of. But this isn't the cornerstone of this morning's manifesto. The cornerstone of today's oratory is multifaceted and massively important, in my opinion at least. And it rests on this preposition. If we in Australasia are breeding and racing paces and trotters that reach their peak earlier than ever before, what becomes of our veteran stars? Here's an uncomfortable truth. As lovable as horses like Torrid Saint, Better Be The Bomb and Tango Tara are, they remain putty in the hands of younger, faster horses of a similar, often lesser, national rating. And here's an even more uncomfortable truth. One seminal reason why these horses, among others, have reached the elite level is that so many others of similar gifts were sold to North America before they ever reached their potential. Knowing and accepting their fate and the financial rewards of going while the going was good, myriad owners have preemptively jumped ship rather than face the spectre of compromising their horses' reputations by racing on and being beaten at free-for-all level. Ultimately, this paradigm serves to perpetuate an already venomous issue. Plainly put, 
it makes life easier on flying four-year-olds as they may not be tackling the very best opposition which could have been available. And it markets the value in selling good horses early just in case they don't achieve their proposed potential. There's no easy answers at hand here. That being said, one thing is certain. If we cannot keep our higher-class horses with name recognition and cut-through value on local soil, we have a problem. Anyone that comprehends racing's joint venture knows that quantity of content is king. Quality of content, however, also matters big time. As a result, we must desperately explore ways we can cater for the growing explosion of four- and five-year-old dominance while also encouraging our wonderful warriors to stay on Aussie soil and race on as long as they desire. Claimers, particularly the relatively recently re-inaugurated there's a lot of Vars there, isn't there? That's a wonderful alliteration. Relatively recently re-inaugurated 100K claimers are a start. But we require more. I don't have all the answers. I never have and I never will. That's one of the reasons I started these breezes. At its core, this, the concept here is founded on stating a case, presenting ideas, then seeking ideas from others. In that spirit, here are my ideas, a couple of basic ones. To supplement the current high-priced claimers which have been valuable but fail in attracting full-size fields, we should also program veteran events as they do at the Greyhounds. If four- and five-year-olds own the world, make these races for those six years or older, even seven years or older when required. I've all, also always believed that Vic Bread bonuses, indeed all local futurity bonuses, must be extended. First win bonuses are great for attracting owners. We all know that owners in racing these days more than ever are looking for an early return on, in, on investment doesn't matter what the code. But how do they impact our long-term horse population? If anything, they encourage a pillaging of sorts and also the chance to sell horses or even retire them once their job is done. And often their job is done when they get their bonus. You get your bonus and then you reinvest in the industry. Sure, fantastic, but we lose the horse quite often, one way or t'other, through retirement or, um, or vending it overseas. Think about this. You are an owner and you love watching your horse do its thing. He or she has won, say, eight races. But placing him or her to win another seems a nigh-on impossible task. Why wouldn't we throw in some sort of incentive for an animal of that nature? The fact they've won eight races indicates they deserve respect. And this is something many don't comprehend. Punters have won on them in each of those victories. And every horse that has had punters win on them then has... There's an emotional connection between the public, the punter, and the horse. So they want that horse to keep going around, and they will keep backing it if it's won the money in the past. That's where turnover comes from. That means, out in the zeitgeist of punting purgatory, loads of players actually love this horse, as mentioned. Okay, back to the point. Why on God's green earth wouldn't we tack on something like a 10-win bonus, 5-win bonus, 10-win bonus, to keep this standard bred racing in pursuit of one more major payday? As mentioned, the concepts I've presented here are blatantly basic. Um, they're not fully fleshed out. And in all, all honesty, the tip of an iceberg when it comes to my ideas alone. I've got plenty of others, but I've gone on for a quarter of an hour already. Uh, nevertheless, we as an industry must move with the world we inhabit, just as all successful industries do. Truth be told, not moving with the times at times has been harness racing's greatest failure and seminal sin. Let's not repeat the past, because if we do... We cannot ensure our future. So there's a little thought uh, bubble. We, I know there's a lot of chat, and I've been at the heart of it, about the four-year-old uh, emergence, uh, their dominance now in, in the major races, and quite often I'm discussing that down the path of um, 
calendar and programming, but here it's more about how do we keep our good older horses that can't beat these four- and five-year-olds at free-for-all level, how do we keep them racing? Because it is just untenable for us. We we are not breeding enough horses at the, at the other end to lose these horses as rapidly as we are. If we keep losing these horses and we're not replenishing at the other end, then we're not going to have the quantity of content to be able to keep up with the other codes and make sure that our market share is such. We might have huge wagering on given meetings, but it's irrelevant if our overall market share isn't enough to service the industry and the prize money uh, or the, the raise in prize money that's required right across the board. So we've got to keep these horses racing and we've got to have people with good ideas, smart ideas coming to the table and talking about how exactly we get that done. That's the breeze for today. We'll go for a break. Our first on this Tuesday edition of Trot's Life. When we return, I will. Uh, I'll repeat a couple of the tips from Darren Carroll from Giddy Up with Gareth all today. No, Matty Leopard. So Geordie Canellis in the house. We might just chew the fat on whatever we want to for five minutes, and then come back at eleven thirty and talk to Jaden Barker. Stick with us. You're listening to Tuesday Trot's Life with Jason Bonington. Hello and welcome back to Trot's Life here. Um, Jordy Canellis will join us in a moment. I'll read out the tips very quickly when I can get hold of my phone. Uh, that Darren Carroll had. He only had a couple, I think, for Swan Hill. Um, but for those playing the Harness Charity Challenge, I've got to remember to get my tips in before around 11.30 at night where I'm playing at the last race in some far-flung location. Uh, here they were, though, as passed on by the wonderful Oscar Rega. At race 1, number 1, Arklow. And race 8, number 10, Blitzen are the two best at Swan Hill from our man, Darren Carroll, who's doing such a wonderful job right across a number of platforms uh, right now for Harness Racing Victoria and on Giddy Up with Gareth Hall as one of his seminal tipsters as I uh, welcome you in, Geordie. Um, how, is your, how is your week transpiring so far? Uh, it's been pretty good. I'm a, a little tired still from yesterday when I did the NFL in the morning, so my whole sleep pattern was thrown out. But I'm all right. Otherwise, I'm so good. What's making news in uh, in in sport? What were you just telling? You're just saying something to me off air, half on air, a moment ago. We've all been. Uh, well, I've been, I haven't been actively. It's only because I've been at work. I've been catching a little bit of the T20 um, Cricket World Cup. It doesn't really float my boat totally. Watching Namibia win the other day was obviously <laughs> um, exciting and wonderful. And did Scotland? Uh, Scotland, uh, yeah, they beat the West Indies. Beat the West Indies. Yeah. So at least there's been a couple of upsets. There has been, yeah, which has been surprising, actually. It's been a, uh, if you're into your T20 cricket and you're into into this part of the World Cup with all the uh, the lower-ranked nations in the world rankings, then uh, it has been entertaining for you. And the uh, I think the, the higher-ranked nations start next week. So we'll see uh, Australia, New Zealand, England, et cetera, from next week in the T20 World Cup. Will, will you get into the T20 World Cup, Bon? No. No, I don't think I will. Um, Are you a T20 cricket fan at all? No. Are you I, a cricket fan at all? I was. Uh, growing up, I was a massive, massive cricket fan. I, I, I enjoy, I still enjoy test match cricket. T20 cricket, I feel is, um, well, it's kanga cricket from when you're a kid. A kid. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a pretend game. To be fair, I think I mentioned this the other day, these minnows couldn't probably beat the top teams in any other format. So it has to be, this is the only way you're yeah. going to get, get an upset. But it's sort of a pretend game. In the way I look at it, it's a bit of a pretend game. But um, did I see an Australian implosion last night? Or was that a uh, 
I thought I did. We haven't played yet, haven't we? Cricket relate. Oh yes, no. We uh, we've been playing warm up games. We haven't done all that well actually. In the so we had to, we were playing India in a warm up game and um, just decided to implode in the concluding stages. I think maybe last night. I think so. And we, well, that's off the back of the uh, the England series as well, where we lost every game. I think we lost the series anyway against England. So our form hasn't been great as reigning champions. We're uh, coming in pretty cold at yep. the moment. And what is this you're telling me about, about um, the Australian team and their? Uh, um Political leanings? Well, yeah, the, the major sponsor of uh, of the Australian cricket team is Alinta Energy. And uh, I'll just I'll read this uh, article here. This is off uh, Wide, Wide World of Sports. Cricket Australia is on the lookout for a new sponsor for the men's team after the chief executive was confronted by captain Pat Cummins regarding its contract with energy company Alinta. Uh, CA agrees to end the deal, according to the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, Alinta's parent company, Pioneer Sale Holdings, has been listed as one of Australia's highest carbon emitters. So this has been uh, sort of led by uh, Pat Cummins, who is um, on the on the, the climate change pioneering uh, sort of warpath, and uh, Linto is off the front of the Cricket Australia jerseys. So how much power does this individual now wield? Because um, you would, uh, I, from the outside looking in, and I, I don't follow it as closely as you and many others probably do, but I would have thought that... The pennies spent in uh, removing the previous Australian coach, you would have. I thought maybe that was okay. You won that battle, but now you've now you've got to back off. But apparently, that's has that only emboldened the position of Pat Cummins. He, he, he now he decides he decides on coaches, sponsors, and what else does he do? Well, apparently, yes, he's the the leader of Australia now. With uh, with he's the prime minister. He's the prime minister. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What was that? What was that saying? The uh, the most have the Prime Minister and the Captain of Australian cricket team next to each other and one man's the most powerful man in Australia, the other one's the Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Well, <laughs> it certainly probably was the case once upon a rainbow. It's funny, I was watching, um, uh, being a massive basketball fan, and I love my basketball documentaries. We'll get back to trots at 11.30. Uh, uh, Jaden Barker to join. Duncan McPherson's going to jump on for a little while as well, talk about those um, floods that his property endured and the win of Elder Baron Keeper on Saturday night. And... On top of that, just the evolution of the trotter. I've been writing a lot of articles about that uh, more recently. Um, but, yeah, I, I was watching watching Best of Enemies. So Celtics versus Lakers back in the golden era of the early 80s. And there was a time – I actually didn't know this. I, I thought I knew everything about that era of basketball. But very, very early, Magic Johnson got himself into trouble. He became really close friends with Dr. Buss, who was the owner of the Lakers. Okay. And he disenfranchised his – teammates to a to an extraordinary level and one of the more bizarre deals was struck in history by the way with uh, Magic Johnson for those who don't know 25 years for 25 million dollars his contract 25 years for 25 million dollars <laughs> but it is and it, it was it's hard for me to rationalize because Magic Johnson is my favorite basketballer of all time but there's got to be something wrong with the lunatics running the asylum, doesn't it? Like, if you're going to have, if you're going to have a power structure above any sporting team, mm. then surely no player or players that should be powerful enough to be making all those decisions. I would, I would think so. I know they are the players, unless are... they're totally infallible, unless they're winning everything and they're infallible as human beings and they can't be, they you can't test them. But I'm not sure Pat Cummins has proven that. No, yeah, I mean. I... Players, the athletes would be the most important asset to a sporting organisation because that is what it is. Yes. But it's also a business. And, you know, people might not like to admit that now because sport used to be, back in the day, used to be pure and it was just about the sport. But now it's we're in the modern era and sport is a business. You can't have athletes who don't 
most of the time don't have uh, much business acumen running the running the ship. But it's a, but what you mentioned a moment ago is critical, isn't it? Um, the athletes are the most important uh, most most important people to a sporting organisation for their athletic potential. Yeah, they're there to be athletes, are, are they not? Yeah. And if you want if you want to go down a path, as many uh, are these days, where while they're still playing, footy players are already sort of starting to do a little bit of coaching on the side and helping the team out, or they might be doing some media, and that all started probably the, nearly the first person uh, that I remember years ago. Obviously, there was Lou Richards and all the rest of it, but Gary Lyon, who was basically doing media, some sort of media when he was about 20 years old. Yeah. You can do all that, but you can't take over the world, surely, while, you, while you're still there, because your job is to perform on the whatever arena you're playing on, isn't it? What do you think of, of people in general, not just athletes, but... People nowadays, it feels like, have a lot of, um, they've got fingers in different pies everywhere. Some people are, you know, I mean, the, the classic has always been sort of actor, musician, but then you've got like sports people who get into acting and then you've got these like TikTok stars who get into boxing and then they make music and then they appear in films. Look, I don't, I don't mind if it's, if it's sort of, um, who is that Paul guy? The um... Oh, uh, Jake Paul. Yeah. Like if, if it's, if it's all done, you know, quite dramatically and you you just, you're being a performer, right? That's yeah. I, I have no no issue with that, but it's probably sometimes just people being given um, uh, too much power and, and too many things to do because I don't I don't believe you can do a stack of things well at the same time. Even watching the Australian story uh, with Michael Checker recently, I'm not sure if you caught that one. He's currently the he's the coach of the Argentinian. Uh, a rugby union side. Yep. He's a coach of the Lebanese uh, rugby league side. Right. Okay. And he's doing something else as well. And you just think to yourself, I don't know about all this. I don't. I. I, I don't know about uh, how you're able to do all those jobs at the level that um, level that you should. And why? Why we sort of bear down and go? Well, only one person can do this thing. Like, let us, give other people a bit of an opportunity. The one thing. One thing before we do go to the news, I want to discuss or ask you about. Is this Ross Lyon thing, is this done and dusted or not? Uh, to St Kilda? Yes. I, uh, it's kind of heading that way. I I did hear a, a um, one of the, I guess, one of the first takes that we, we started hearing when Rhett Ratten was sacked last week, or yeah, last week, was that they would only do that if they had someone lined up. Yes. You wouldn't just sack a coach at this time of the year unless you had someone, because pre-season's about to start in what, a couple of weeks or something. You wouldn't do it, and we've just come back from the trade period. Unless you had someone lined up, and it's a dollar ten that he'll be coach. I think so. I'd, as much as I'd like to see uh, one of the the newer guys, like Adam Uze has been on the fringe for a while now. But if Ross Lyon's there, and I think I think Ross Lyon is out of all the the coaches that could be available, like uh, James Hurd or Choco Williams or whatever, I feel like Ross Lyon is maybe the the best guy, not the only guy, but the best guy that could make St Kilda relevant again. Uh, I'll tell you what, we'll uh, we better go to the news, but we. we... We might discuss that a little bit further. I'm very anti-Ross Lyon, and, and if anything, this has only um, only exacerbated my distaste. Um, hanging around on the periphery, uh, saying he didn't want to coach again with other roles, waiting for this one, knowing it was probably available, cutting uh, Ratton's throat. We'll go to the news, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, I reckon. You're listening to Tuesday Trot's Life with Jason Bonington. 
Hello and welcome back to Tuesday Trots Live. And we're getting back onto the trots in a moment, although I'm still a little bit perturbed. Ross Lyon doesn't work here, does he? Because I don't want to, I don't want to no. smash him and then get smashed. All right, yeah, because I'll be smashing him a bit later. Um, not, not a Ross Lyon fan, the Bond. But uh, we get back to the trots now and a man who is still celebrating, I'd imagine, uh, a magnificent win on Saturday night in the Tatlow States with Rockin' With Attitude is young driver Jaden Barker. How are you, Jaden? Yeah, very good, thanks. Yourself, Jason. Pretty, pretty good, mate. That was a bit of a, a bit of a dream come true on, on Saturday night. I know you've got a great association with this young filly, but to be able to go out there and I'd say if it was a computer game and you could have put yourself anywhere you wanted to be, um, if it was all just done on the um, on the whiteboard, it couldn't have worked out better. Uh hundred percent. Yeah, no, the race turned out perfectly. Um yeah, and we, we got there right on the line. Um, but yeah, absolutely wrapped with how she went. And just glad glad to finally get a group group two against my name. Um, you must have a really good association with her. I mean she's a lovely filly and we saw that she wasn't too far off the off the big guns and that Bob Conroy that was won by uh, the locomotive, and so did you, did you go into that race Saturday night thinking, I'll tell you what, if a couple of these things that I have got planned out do work out, I, I really can win this race? Uh, yes. Um, I think after the race at Shepparton, um, you know, she just gave me so much confidence on what she can actually do. Um, I think there's still a little bit more that we could get out of her because we haven't pulled the plugs yet. But, um, yeah, obviously the locomotive and Susan is my name, I think it is. Um, we're the two that I thought we were the ones to beat. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was very confident going into the race. So what is your um, – uh, we'll get back to the fish breeding a little bit later, but uh, what is your future yeah. in the – in the game, do you reckon? Because you're um, you, you're sort of you're, you're driving, but not all the time. Uh, David Moles, who does not give faint praise, and he probably I don't know if he would ever say anything um, extremely positive or encouraging to your face. But I, I took a drive home with him from Cranbourne only a couple of months ago, and he said, uh, "Jaden Barker will make it as a trainer." Uh, so what is yeah. what what is how do you see it all playing out for you? Do you want to do? a little bit of both to combine them? Are you more drawn towards the training side of things? Uh, would you just like to have a few that you drive yourself? What, like, where do you want to be in five or ten years? Um, yeah, well, obviously, I think training is probably more more my go. I mean, I absolutely love driving, um, and I'm still more than happy to drive. But, yeah, no, I really enjoy the training side of it. Um you know, just going through the motions with each horse and obviously having their their little quirks. It's, um, yeah, it's really enjoyable. You, uh, will you tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I, I think you drive like a trainer sometimes. You you, you drive like a horseman, um, very patient, very calm, um, not overly worried if it doesn't work out today. I think a couple of your really big, um, dramatic-looking wins going back a couple of years ago with horses like Louis Sedgwick were often from well back in the field, letting it all unfold in front of you. Is that, is that kind of, is that how you see yourself a little bit as horseman first and, and quite often you go out there and, and you're driving them like a horseman? A hundred percent. Yeah, obviously. Um, 
think more like a, a trainer than a driver and try and get, you know, absolutely 100% out of a horse every time it goes round. But, um, you know, I, I think it's um, sometimes my downfall too because I might look after a horse a bit bit too much. But um, I've sort of just go with the motion of the race and just what the whatever the horse is doing. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But, um, yeah, it's um, definitely seem to be driving more with um, future races ahead. Well, that's I was, than, yeah. I, I was going to say that to you basically that it, it it's a it's a wonderful philosophy to have. But on the flip side, you know, if you're desperately going out and and seeking outside drives, and you know, you're being told to send them when you don't think they should be sent, yeah. uh, and 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 you don't really want to cook them, it can make it it can make it harder times. I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's obviously then you go out and give them a really hard run. It, when you get back to the training side, it, it just takes a bit longer to, to get them probably back to where they were. Um, obviously, coming up to these bigger races, you know, you got to drive them a bit harder. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely always in the back of my mind, you know, um, not, to, not to cook them, cook them out there. Um, you must get uh, along or, or have a great relationship with this band of owners. Um, they're sticking with you, and they got the rewards on Saturday night. Oh, definitely, yeah. No, they they're great people, and extremely lucky to have them as owners. Um, and it definitely definitely helps helps me with driving driving to Philly because they're just happy to see her go around. Um, and yeah, we've just been very lucky too do what we've been able to do. I can't believe this. I'm now looking at your driver profile and you're 26 years of age. Uh, to me, Jaden, you, uh, I, I feel like you, you know more than 14, maybe 16 absolute maximum. So you're 26 years of age now. Unbelievable. You're actually a, you're actually a grown yeah. boy. And, um, and you're doing other things with your life as well. I, I like to have a, a good laugh about the fish breeding, but I really shouldn't laugh about it because last time I spoke to you a couple of years ago, it was a very lucrative game, Jaden. Uh, yes. No, it's, um, I purchased a house or built a house a couple of years ago. So now I've got a complete setup, um, of 22 tanks. Um, so it's, it's nearly a full-time business in itself, but, um, you know, it's doing really well, um, and still selling a few fish on the side. So 22 tanks, you said? Yes. Unbelievable, yeah. and you're also and you're also out there when you're not working the tanks and when you're not working at Milesies, you're out doing a bit of extra work at Tabcourt Park Mountain as well. Ah, uh, yes, yes, I work there on a Saturday night, um, uh, and the last few weeks I've been lucky enough to be able to drive a few really nice horses after they've won, and um, obviously having that opportunity too. Um, and just being able to talk to different people as well has helped help me get get my name out there as in the industry. You're a busy boy. So, where, so tell me where you'll be. Will you have set up your own camp in in five years? Will you be um, will you be relieving Moles of his duties and looking after most of the job there and letting him go out and 
and uh, and and parties he enjoys to do. What, what, how's all that going to work? Um, well, that would be nice, but with the cost of living at at the moment, um, you know, it's probably hard to see myself buying some property. But um, I run this place now, so you know he might. Um, be able to go out partying a few extra days a week and just leave it all to me as he does. Now, I'm going to ask you a personal one before I let you go. Jaden. you're a very busy boy. It doesn't seem like you've got much spare yeah. time. And I don't need to know the details, but have you got a partner in life at the moment? I do, yes. Well, that's all, oh, that's all. For another seven years. Well, that's all, all I wanted to know. I just wanted to make sure you, you weren't you weren't burning the candle at both ends and, uh, and leaving real life behind. Because... <laughs> uh, no. I didn't realise you were 26. You're going to start getting grey hair fairly soon and you need to pin one down, if you know what I'm saying. You don't want to just work work your ass off and then uh, have nothing at the back end, but you've got a long-term, virtually almost a high school sweetheart there, have you? Uh, Straight after. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. I think she was in year 12 when we met. Um, and, yeah, we're going good. So. Does she like the horses, like she like the horses and, the, and the fish or not? Um, she likes them, but I think she likes them because that's what I do. Um, so she, she just supports me through it and I don't think she likes handling them, but I'll get her there. You sound like a lucky bugger in life at the moment, mate. And you certainly are after your uh, great performance on Saturday night. It's been good having you, Chad. We'll catch up on track, but very well done for Saturday night, brother. Thank you very much. It's Jaden Barker. We'll go for another break here on Trot's Life Return. Might check if the Geelong Cup fields have dropped. Have a look at them in a moment here. Tuesday edition Trots Life is here in track. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington. It's exceptionally accurate. It is Trots Life and my name is Jason Bonington, though very few people call me Jason Bonington. A couple of people call me Bonington, which I don't like, but every other name is fine. Jay Bon Bon Bonners, everything else is fine. Just don't really like Bonington. Uh, don't love Jason either, to be honest. I, I like the name. I just don't like... It's like you're in trouble, isn't it? Uh, being called Jason. Right. Um, Friday and Saturday night, we've got Tabcorp Park Melton on Friday and then the Geelong Cup on Saturday night. So there's a little bit of a mix and match of fields that have dropped. We might have a squeeze out over the next uh, six or seven minutes before we go to our final break in the first hour. Going to return with Duncan McPherson, talk a little bit about uh, those floods, the win of Albert Baron Keeper on Saturday night, and and uh, also just the, I mean, the the more recent rapid evolution of the square gator in this part of the world. I'll only pick out the, the races that I really think I might be able to help in. Race one, I don't know that I can. At Melton on Friday night, Saturday and Sojo is flying, was scratched for whatever reason on Saturday night, just gone. Night school might be a leader. When great guns leading two starts back over the odds, tell an agent, call on me. Yep, stay out of that one. Largely race two, I probably feel similarly about. Cloud Nine will actually get a run here. Was uh, scratched as emergency from a couple of races on Saturday night. I think Orby's going well. Uh, I think it can be a little bit dangerous trailing in behind uh, Cloud Nine, but maybe Cloud Nine first up for Emma Stewart will just uh, start short odds and blow them away. Allied Express three-year-old classic over 2,240 metres is a good race on Friday night at Melton. Beach Life, Our Little Jet, Rich Beauty, Relentless Me, Elegant, lots of early speed. 
I still am quite sick for Beach Memories, even though um, she put on one hell of a display, didn't she? Um, uh, last start when I thought she might be able to get the job done, but she put on a hell of a display. That was in a heat of the Victoria Oaks. Um, but her best Beach Memories is very, very good. Um, Rich Beauty might be the best of the Emma Stewart runners, though Beach Life might get a soft lead. Relentless Me's talented, so is elegant, tough race. But maybe Beach Memories with a trailing draw might be worth a bet and will be a, a little bit of a price, I would imagine. Uh, Tatlow Stakes for the two-year-old Colts and Geldings is a nice race. I'd need to look at this a little bit closer, but we know the opinion uh, generally profit around um, Petrarca. Uh, drawn wide in the front row. Going to be tough to beat, you would imagine. Race five is the first leg of the quaddy. Of course, we'll be going through these with a fine-tooth comb. I don't know whether we might mix and match the Friday form panel to uh, cover off on Tabcor Park, Melton and Geelong this week. But uh, race five, first leg of the quaddy. Naratak Prince gets back to the front row. I think that's going to help a hell of a lot. Um, and he's a black booker from Steve Cleave from the Metrospective edition of... Trot's life going back uh, more than a week ago. Yeah, and Buckian, the big boy, he's back in town. My mate, Hulunian, who's sort of a little bit in and out at the moment. Springing his step. That's a good race. Supreme Dominator. Going to stay out of that one for the time being. True Roman Trotters free for all named after the winningest square gator at Mooney Valley. True Roman. I can't remember how many races it was, but it was a lot. Uh, Elder Baron Zeus and Vacation Hill. Sometimes carries a lot of early speed here, isn't there? Loxley Lover scratched. From the Maryborough Trotters Cup. Might be able to sit in behind the Molavici. You'd think that once again, one of the four-year-olds is going to be hard to beat, but the return of I'm Ready Jet's really interesting as well. Balances up, ready to roll, he- hearing good things emanating from the stable. So I'm Ready Jet's going to be hard to beat as well. That's a really good race. Not quite committing there either. Angelique Club pace at Group 3 level. This, I believe, is leg two of the Elizabeth Clark Mayor's Triple Crown. And once again, we see a clash between ladies and red Tough Tilly and Treachery, they're all drawn off the second row on this occasion. Here we go. Now we're going to have some fun. Ladies in red should turn the tables on Tough Tilly, I think, although Tough Tilly was wonderful winning. Uh, the mate mine, Cal, on the first leg of that Triple Crown on Victoria Cup night, and Treachery was probably better than both of them, let's be really honest. She was amazing, Treachery. Whether she's bridged that gap, I think Ladies in Red will be winning that race, and we'll just have to wait for the price. Hopefully she doesn't come up those prohibitive odds she did last time out. Race eight, an 80 to 89 Raider. Loving the Chevy's drawn off the front here. It's Beaujolais. He's ideal. He's ideal uh, really proved a point, certainly to me, and I think to uh, anybody that was doubting him with that, that win in race one on Victoria Cup night, it was absolutely dominant. You'd think that he'll find a way to win this. He seems like he is a nice horse. Uh, race nine, Tatlow Stakes of the two-year-old fillies, the baby girls. Uh, Michael Stanley, who's... Um, Abroad at the moment, over in New Zealand with Rock and Roll Do, preparing for a New Zealand Cup on the second Tuesday in November. Soho Seraphine's clearly got ability, but for Emma Stewart, tempting Tigress has only had the one start for one win, Tiff's little sister. That's going to be another really high-quality race and not easy to work out. Race 10 is over the short course trip, and it is a uh, looks like a Metropolitan Maiden type affair. Um, Major Delico leads, who would it hand up to? Not sure. Lombo Heaven, I think the winner's going to come from Lombo Heaven, Sheffield Sparky, something off the second row there. Lombo Heaven flew home on the weekend in a race that ultimately uh, ended up being not entirely suitable. And the last race at Melton on Friday night, this is a really strong, deep uh, card of 11 races. 
Uh, Jalibi Dynamite, we've got Ben on the Tiger, who's got gate speed. He's been a really big improver ever since Jack Law told us that he would be. Um, Valachi, Aussie play-by, um, Shadow Boxer. Cobb is drawn out to the second row. We're going to need to look at that one a little bit more closely as well. But um, hopefully we might have picked out a couple there that we're confident can do a job. And, um, oh, no. Feel like the internet might have gone down here. We've got to go to a break in a moment. I'm hoping that we, we will be able to do so. I was going to get stuck into Geelong, but we do need to take a break as soon as we possibly can so we can get out for the hard out. The question is, can we play something here? We'll go for a break now. Um, come back second hour of Trot's Life here on, on this Tuesday. Quite a lovely Tuesday in Melbourne town. Uh, we'll bring you more guests, including Duncan McPherson. Stick with us. Welcome to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. Join the conversation today and text us on 0499 736 736. Good afternoon and welcome back to Trots Life right here on SEN Track. We're in the second hour and on Tuesday, it's always been education day since Trots Life was inaugurated and we like to bring the heavy hitters in. Well, there's not too many heavier hitters than the man who's about to join us, Duncan McPherson. How are you, Duncan? Jason, good afternoon. How are you, mate? Uh, I'm good, mate. I'm, I'm probably um, I'm probably more concerned with how you are. Obviously, it was uh, there were some mixed emotions on Saturday night with Elder Baron Kiba uh, winning the Victoria Trotters Oaks, but then what had transpired in the in the 24 or 36 hours prior to that uh, was not overly pleasant. No, it was one of those uh, one of those periods of time where. Uh, you realise how fortunate we all are with the people that we have in our industry. When the um, SOS went out uh, for, with three properties up round Mooralam, there we were all caught on the overland flow, and we had a four and a half, four, four, four to four and a half foot rise of water overnight, and we went to bed with with tracks graded, ready to fast work horses in the morning, and we woke up with the water lapping at the doorsteps. So it was one of those experiences, and no one saw it coming, but. Uh, we we got it. We got we all banded together and we got the job done. And and the irony to that is two of the mares have foaled already since the since the flood. So lucky we moved them to higher ground. It is. I mean, we, we do discuss this regularly, don't we? And, and and often in these you know most adverse of circumstances. And and uh, you haven't you haven't been uh, without um, tragedy in your life, as many people do know about as well. But uh, it's incredible to think that. You can call on people in this industry and it will happen so quickly. And really, when you think about it, if you don't have that assistance, well, you don't, it probably doesn't bear thinking about what, what might have transpired the other day. Oh, we couldn't have done it. I mean, someone, I was talking to someone this morning, I mean, I'm, the, the news about what's happening in Victoria is, is, and because of our global connection, there's people from Finland and, and Sweden and all over the place watching what's going on in our industry and following Facebook feeds from all our participants. And, uh, yeah, when you have a, have a real think about where we were, we had um, three properties, aggregated horse numbers between probably 120, 140, um, and you've got to start moving. And we, we, we all had a crack on our own amongst the property owners, but it got to that point in time where, where when you're, you know, swimming over fences and you've, you've called in some boats just in case we've got to get some help, you, you know, then you've got to start really moving quickly, which is what everybody did. And, and uh, yep, the district responded. And as I said on Saturday night, people that I've never met before in my life were giving up their time to come and help us, and we're forever grateful. Have you ever encountered encountered anything um, like that previously? 
while I was in Christchurch when the earthquake hit. So I guess maybe people shouldn't hang around where I go. But uh, no, nothing like an, an over, nothing like the water. And I guess there's other farms further up around, you know, other side of Shepparton and, and, and Echuca. And we know that there's plenty of breeding, harness breeding, standard breeding establishments. And they're all, we've all got the same story. The water just starts to come and you don't think that, don't worry about the depth you think it's going to get. You've got to act pretty quickly to start making, taking evasive action and, and, and moving because you can't stop it and you can stand there and physically watch it come, which is what we were doing the other day. And it's not, you know, I mean, there's two levels to this, isn't there? And often people on the outside uh, or on the periphery of racing think, well, oh, that's an enormous amount of money we're talking about in terms of the horse flesh, but it's actually the love of the animal. I mean, the idea of losing even one animal or, or even uh, or even one of those mares that was set to foal uh, or anything going down which might have precluded that happening, that's really, that is the focus, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, um, yes, they are valuable commodities, but it's about the love of the animal. The most important thing for all of us together on Saturday was um, animal welfare. Um, the first thing we wanted to do was just make sure that we could get as many up off out of the out of the paddocks when they were over waist deep as quickly as we can. If they're if they're knee deep, they can hang there in inverted commas. You know, they can they can walk around and do what they need to do. So. Priority one was to get the get get the deep water animals out, and then um, look after the rest from there. But no, as I said, and again Saturday night, animal welfare was number one priority for everybody. And whether it was you know Shetland ponies and, and buddies of the horses or whatever, we went we went and got the lot. So um, no, it was just fantastic. And uh, fortunately, no loss of horses on on any of the properties in our in our little area there. And um, I think we're going pretty well generally across our industry from that point of view as well. And I'm sure that the learnings that we went through Saturday are being applied on other properties as, as, the, as with the efflux of time as we go forward this week. Now, as mentioned on Saturday night, at all uh, as it can do in life sometimes, you go through uh, the lowest low straight back up to the highest highs. Now with a Baron Keeper winning the, uh, winning the Oaks. I want to talk uh, broadly about uh, some of the, well, the evolution which has been going on. I mean, you've been at the forefront of it for a very long period of time, but it's accelerating at a rate of knot at the moment for the trotters. But first of all, the excitement on Saturday night? Uh, and, and, and an amazing result. Uh, I mean, in the run, put it well, wind it back a bit. <laughs> I bought a mare off Carl Middleton, who unfortunately passed away in New Zealand, and it was a mare called Another Love, and it was one of his favourite fillies and we bought it and we bred from her and this is um, this filly Aldebaran Keeper, she's by Cadabra and somebody said how did you name her and I said well when when it was a filly and it was by Cadabra we thought we'd keep her so we're pretty complicated the way we name them but so we did that and um, that all went very well Saturday night um, yeah we thought she had a fair bit of ability uh, and I think she showed it to us on Saturday night with what she did well, it was and in the run, as you mentioned, uh, it, it looked well, it looked awful, didn't it? It was it was actually quite devastating how um, how quickly she picked up. But, I mean, and this is part of what I want to discuss in a moment about the speed of yeah. the trotters these days. But yeah, yeah. for her to be able to make up the ground, well, Chris didn't really. Um, Chris Alford, um, you know, he's we all know how, what a wonderful driver he is, and he was, you know, it, it wasn't in the game plan to be four back the fence and. <laughs> We had a bit of luck on the home turn where some gaps started to appear, but 
he was still angling her out with 150 to go, and I think she got clear at about 125 when he could straighten her up. He gave her a, gave her a little tap on the bum, and the rest was history. I think she made up six lengths in the last 130, 140 metres, which was just astounding, and she was running away from him at the finish. And, um, yeah, she's got a, an amazing turn of foot, and what you have alluded to is that's the breed. And... Um, you know, as you put in a column, 11 of those 12 horses were from international stallions, not being disrespectful to our local stallions, but we're just getting better and better and horses that can do that with the speed that she showed and whether it's ours or the Orlando Vichys or others that are, are being bred down here, um, it's becoming more evident as we go forward season after season. Um, and it's not only the Colts that are doing it, it's obviously the Phillies as well. It must be uh, from somebody in, in, in your position, Duncan, and, and for those who don't know, it, well, you know, most of our Trots Life listeners will be harness racing lovers, but make no mistake, there are two different types of harness racing lovers. There's people who love harness racing and pacing is their favourite, and then there's trotting lovers who are um, basically um, religious zealots. For square gating, it is a very, very different world. And the people who love trotting, it is it is a deep, profound devotion. Uh, are you looking at it right now that you've been on an incredibly long uh, odyssey pilgrimage, and that you can actually see you can see Mecca on the on the horizon now? Because we it feels like we are now getting quite close to that that point that I think everybody's dreamed of that loves trotting, where we can be properly competitive, or at least we can get a few that we might be able to take over. And I know we've done it in the past, but go again and really feel like, okay, we're, we're very close to the level we need to be. There's two or three points that I'll pick up straight away on that. So the, the 11 of the 12 fillies, I mean, there was 30 fillies nominated for the Victoria Oaks. And one thing we need to do is convince um, headquarters that we need Phillies heats to get to the Oaks as we do with the Derby for the for the Pacers, the Oaks for the Pacers and the Derby for the Trotters. Mm. The proliferation of, of, of three-year-old Phillies now and the increase of our herd population more or less is demanding that we have Phillies trotter heats. So that's item something we need to consider going forward. The other thing we need to consider is that you look at the sire lines of these horses. Most of the sire lines that these Phillies are racing out of have all been sub 154, 153. Um, to complement that, that's why we're bringing Dancing in the Dark M down. He's the stallion, four-year-old, coming out of, uh, by Redley Express, uh, son of Reddy Cash, coming out of America. He went 49-3, and three, and he was the fastest stallion in the world in 2021. He's in quarantine, coming out on the 27th to commence this season's stud duties. The only reason I'm saying that is that if someone said there was a 49-3 trotter, that was available to people in the Southern Hemisphere five years ago, we would have laughed at them. The reality is we've now got it. And we've got fillies now that are that are running 57, 58, over 17, 20 at Melton as if it was yesterday. So we the combined speed that we have and the, and the resurrection of the Maori Mile and the ability to watch the international trot at Yonkers just over the last weekend, I think that we're in a situation now within the next three to five years. You talk about the Mecca and the Holy Grail. I think it's taken three generations, about 16 to 18 years to get there. And I think we're on the verge of global competitiveness. And I'm sure, you know, the Chris Langs and the Pat Driscolls and the Emilio Rosati's and others, we're all of the belief now that we're on the cusp of, of being 
at that level. Do you, now, here's an uncomfortable question, and you might just give me a, um, um, a slap around the chops and I'll be able to take it. But has it all – do you oh. think in any way there's been – um, an education process. I mean, I know a guy like Chris Lang's obviously been over many, many times um, to uh, to the great European centres, but has there almost been a, um, a teething period as well, even with the trainers here in Australia with with these breeds, that they are different types of horses? They probably need to be trained a slightly different way and it might have taken a couple of years to even get our heads around that to some degree? Oh, I think that's undoubted, but I think that there's the two major things or the three major things that have happened, or four major things. One is breeders have seen that what's available to us and the opportunity that, that Trotter represents, not only in Australia, but globally. So the breeders are backing it. That's why we've got the fastest growing herd population of Trotters anywhere in the world. The ability of the, of the horses now... I went to the went to Maryborough on on Sunday, and the comment at Maryborough from people that were were in the know, and not only p- trotting people but pacing people and general people was you used to go to Redwood 15 years ago, and you used to have to try and figure out and back the horse that you didn't think would gallop. Now you've got to go to the Redwood and pick the horse that you think will actually. Um, all of them are going to trot, and now you've actually got to go there with a form guide with a different view. So I think that exemplifies not only the skill of the trainer but also the the, the movement forward of the breed so i think that I, I would be encouraging any of these young drivers and 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 trainers to take a holiday if they're going to take a holiday put yourself on a plane and go up and spend a couple of weeks up in europe or over in america and i think that the wealth of knowledge that they'll bring back which is what the maddie cravens and the chris langs and others have done um, i think this will hold them in good stead going forward and again just complement what the breeders and everyone else is doing. Now, this is a bit of a, another bit of a slightly convoluted question, but, you know, uh, the speech that I gave this morning around, and I've been pretty passionate about um, how we manage the fact that horses, both paces and trotters, are reaching their peak uh, younger in this part of the world than they ever have before, and the four-year-olds are inheriting the earth now. And we, we can definitely see that with the pacing division. My question for you, because always in my entire time of following harness racing, Trotters have been more like the Ruckman or the key position players, where if you look after them, they'll keep getting better as they get older. The thing is, right now, though, the most of the most exciting square gators in this part of the world are about four years of age. There's just so many exciting horses, including Queen Elida and others. Is that because they are actually peaking earlier, or is the truth that every single year from here, basically, and over the last 10, we've seen this, that they're just going to keep getting better and better and better. So it's going to look like the younger horses are peaking earlier, but it's just because the next generation following the next generation following the next generation are just better than the ones who came before them. I think it's, I think it's going to be genetic. It's genetically significant in my, in my view. Um, The, 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 the animal now has most of the horses that, that, that you referred to, and I'll just pick on the fillies for a moment. Not only were their sire lines um, European or American, but a lot of their dam lines are as well now. And whereas 10 or 15 years ago or two generations ago, we'd be bringing in the European or the American bloodlines, but crossing it up more with colonial breed. And I think that we've got a genetic mix now that is more complementary to the speed and the durability of the horse, but also for them to um, prove at a young age, if we look after them, that they will go right through. I think that the four-year-old crop 
that you referred to, which is, you know, the Queen of Lighters and the, the Olivicis and the Ella Baron Zeus and, and all the rest of them, Loxley Lovers and all these. This is probably the biggest band of four-year-old trotters that we've ever seen that are the, that are, and the most competitive we've ever seen. What we've now got to get ready for is the three-year-olds and the two-year-olds coming through and what's coming on the ground. So I, I think that, you know, as I say, I think the Mecca's three to five years away and some of the horses that we're now seeing as two- and three-year-olds are going to be those horses that will get that international opportunity. But you can see it now, can't you, Duncan? You can, you're, 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 we're all we're oh, yeah. on the other side of the hill. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we've, we've climbed a mountain and <laughs> we need... And, and, and it's been a big hill to get up yep. because we were globally irrelevant 15 years ago. We are now globally relevant. We've got international investors. Um, I mean, John Bootsman, who owns Boko Farms, is in Elderberry and Vera. Um, you know, Dancing in the Dark Zone by Manhammer in Sweden, who are the biggest breeders in Sweden. We've got some of the big... And Pat's got his French people behind him. We've now got globally um, recognised farms and studs backing the industry here not only with their with their feet but with their animals and i think this is this is going to this is a game changer and this is the mecca and i reckon you know provided we 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 channel and and look at how we cut the pie and make our our, our funding model and our prize money model relevant to the increase of the herd population then i think you're going to be able to reward some of these investors with international opportunities and the only way we're going to get there is bank some prize money and put it away and let's get going. Well, the truth is with, the, with, the, with the amazingly heavy hitters that have decided to focus their attention on square gating, A, number one, and I'm sure you're passionate about this, a slot race for uh, for trotters just has to become a reality sooner rather than later. Um, and and I, 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 I think you've probably been saying this for years, Duncan, but we do have to now accept the reality that there's a possibility that, um, you know, an enormous amount of our revenue that's going to go back into prize money will be created by by trotters rather than uh, rather than the old model where it was obviously eighty or eighty five percent created by paces. I mean, those days are well and truly well and truly in the past, aren't they? Yeah, and I think that the the comment from the people is, you know, as I said earlier, you're going to go to Maryborough for the Redwood, and, and you're not going to pick, you're not going to try and figure out yeah. who won't gallop. Well, that 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 puts confidence in the in the in the in the punter, because he can now put his hand in his pocket and pull his pull his pineapple out or whatever investment he'd like to make through the through the bidding agencies, and he can have a fair income bet on the on the knowledge that he's not going to have to necessarily worry about a galloper, and so I think that the the genetic improvement is also going to assist us in revenue growth going forward, and there's no doubt that with the herd population doing what it's doing in the trotting gate, that if we can internationally export our product, um, let people on the other side of the world know that we've got the cadabras and the muscle masses and the muscle hills and the olivicis and all this sort of lot, then people are going to stand up and say, hey, their breed down there is just as good as what we're punting on up here, so why wouldn't we open our wallets and have a dibble down in Australia? And I, I think and firmly believe that's going to happen. And on top of that, I think I think people are just drawn to speed, I'll be honest with you, that um, knowing that these... Trotters can run their 56, 57 second halves. Um, and who knows why it is, but I, I know it for myself, and I reckon a lot of punters are the same. Um, they want to believe they can be in the position in a race that Elder Baron Keeper was on Saturday night and still win probably for a long time. You thought with a the trotter they're going to, you know, it's very rhythmic and uh, beautiful, but if I'm in a bad position, I can't get myself out of it. Well, 
they're fast enough now that they can. Duncan, it's been great having a chat, mate. Um, sure. It's uh, it's it, it's it's wonderful to see where it's going. And right now, I think um, some of the most exciting horses racing in Australia are trotters, and hopefully. Hopefully, in the not-too-distant future, we'll give it three to five years. We can go over there and be properly competitive on the world stage. Appreciate your time, mate. Good on you. Thank you very much. And we're hot to trot at Aldebaran Park. All the best. There is Duncan McPherson, hot to trot at Aldebaran Park. We're going to go for a short break, come back. There's a few texts coming through, and uh, we'll get to them. And uh, then the news at 12.30, because that was a nice long chat with Duncan, but a lot of uh, areas to cover, and he covered them beautifully, as always. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington. Hello and welcome back. Only a couple of minutes away from the 12.30 news. Great chat so far with Jaden Barker and also Duncan McPherson. And that Duncan McPherson interview, by the way, was brought to you by Garrard's Horse and Hound. The best dog at the lowest prices. Morning, Mr. Bonington from Big Fella. He's asking how you are too, Geordie. Hello, Geordie. Hope you're keeping well. Um, He seems to be keeping well. He, He looks well. Resplendent. Uh, morning, Mr. Bonington. Our horse has been entered Geelong race two, number six. Where's the gold? Fingers crossed. We'll look forward to your Friday form, but it'll have a ripper day. Cheers, big fella. Look forward to uh, to going through it and seeing, well, I'm, I'm hoping I've got good news for you. Um, somebody earlier, I don't know what this was about. Might be for another station. Fruit, cake and hopeless without a script. I don't know what that was. Um, won't work until, this might be about Ross Lyon. They might be talking about him on a different station. You would think that's highly likely. Won't work until Ross the boss becomes Ross the leader. Does from uh, Bunbury. I think Ross is, um, if we're talking about Ross Lyon, he's he's just um, arrogant and um, overrates himself, I think, and a bit of a sniper. Anyway, uh, good luck to the Saints. Hopefully they go well. I, uh, it would, yeah, it, it all seems like another ugly situation. He seems to get himself involved in a lot of ugly situations. Old Roscoe, I reckon. He it, it seems like uh, he enjoys playing the political game a fair bit, and he enjoys uh, he enjoys that side of things. I don't really enjoy those those things, so that might be why I um, I resist him. But I also think he's an amazingly highly, an incredibly highly rated coach who's never won a premiership, particularly given he was coaching a football club that he's trying to go back to that had by far the best list. Going around during that era, Jordy Canellis, I think the Saints, they were, if you go through the names, they had a lot of talent. And from my memory, uh, even though they, they they did, you know, have some great games, in fact, that mid-season Geelong game, wherever it was, was it 2009? Nine. That might be the greatest game I've ever, a footy I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, Lenny Hayes and Jimmy Bartel just went absolute warrior mode. But my memory was that, they had the greatest skill set of any team by a fair way, and yet Roscoe made them play like they were Sydney where he'd come from. Yeah, and I'm a little worried it's going to happen again. He hasn't. He hasn't I don't think that's how footy works anymore. No, but but Ross hasn't coached for that for how long? Yeah, but if that's the philosophy, everybody. The the the, the thing is, in those days, Collingwood and St Kilda and a couple of other teams were really, and Sydney were very, very good defensively. Yep. And nobody else was. Now everybody's good defensively. It's it's not enough to be able to lock it down. You've got to be able to spread and move and run yes. and you've score. You've got to be at least two-dimensional. Yes. 
It worries me. Well, it doesn't worry me because if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It'll, it'll just prove me right. Um, we'll go to the news now, find out what's happening in the world. And when we return, uh, John Dunn will join us as we pump up the Geelong Cup on Saturday night. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington. Hello and welcome back to Trots Life. Just having a little bit of a snag roll here. I thought I'd taken a bite at exactly the right time. And it's not easy to swallow a snag roll very quickly. Anyway, that's a story for another time. Geelong Cup is on Saturday night. Well, Thoroughbred Cup before that, obviously. It is today, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. But uh, Geelong Pacing Cup is on Saturday night, Group 2 level. And we've got a man who's down there making sure that everything runs smoothly. He's worn many, many, many hats in this great industry of harness racing. John Dunn, how are you, mate? Good afternoon, Jace. Uh, very well, and we've got another three or four sleeps to go. I'm very, very excited to get back down to my home for the first 30 years of my life. Um, how's it all How's it all tracking? How, how close are you to being ready for this big meeting on Saturday night? Yeah, everything's in readiness, mate. We've, um, we've been working hard for the past uh, couple of years, uh, albeit crowds without, a uh, couple without crowds rather, but We've spent uh, more than a million dollars on the on the uh, complex in the past eighteen months, a couple of years. So everything's either new or renovated, including the brand new media building of which Trots Vision will be operating out of on Saturday night. Yes, I'm looking forward to being part of that coverage. Obviously, uh, down there in Geelong. But uh, look, just going back before we get stuck into the field, we know there was a a pretty extensive period there where uh, Geelong just had it very rough for a variety of reasons. I remember going down there in the uh, in the sort of turn of the century, early 2000s, late 90s, and you had huge crowds on track for the Cup and there was a really strong um, harness racing community down there. And then for a variety of reasons, uh, things just didn't go right for a huge period of time. And that is amazingly encouraging that that amount of money has been spent on the facility because – it deserves it, doesn't it? I mean, it's actually a, it's a magnificent facility if if it's allowed to thrive. Oh, certainly. Look, the, this uh, the complex hadn't had any money spent on it for a long, long time until we were fortunate enough where we sold some land across the road, so we had the funds to uh, to build new restaurants, bars, renovate uh, the old restaurant, uh, and uh, renovate uh, drivers' blocks renovated stables, build new float car parks, build new you know, sealed car parks across the road. So, as I said before, Jase, if it's not new here, it's been renovated. So, And look, I've been to most tracks in the state, and uh, I may well be biased, but the, the there is no better viewing than the both restaurants upstairs um, than at Geelong here. So, um, yeah, those people that come along who haven't been here for a while will be pleasantly surprised. You can virtually, in fact, in the winning post restaurant, some people have said to me, you feel like you're in the sulky with the drivers. You're that close to them. Well, you, and even everywhere around that Geelong complex, you, you get incredibly, incredibly close to the action, which is a uh, competitive advantage that uh, harness racing has over the thoroughbreds. Have a look at this field. Um, it's the right time of year to have it, isn't it? You've got so many of the horses that uh, were either contesting the Victoria Cup or wanting to contest the Victoria Cup. To be honest, it's almost the perfect field this on Saturday night because – Rock and roll do going over to New Zealand. It's sort of, it's taken away a dominance factor where you just think one horse can turn up and win. That's certainly not going to be the case. I, I'm almost not looking forward to doing the form for this 
Geelong Pacing Cup? Because it's not going to be easy, John. Well, at first glance, Jace, it's it's it's, it's probably dead set five dollars a field. Yeah. I mean, I, you're, you're right. There's no there's no standout. The barrier draws haven't haven't elevated uh, any particular runner to well above the others. The other thing too, of course, uh, the winner of the Pacing Cup on Saturday night gets. Uh, exempt from the ballot. So you go straight into the final 36 horses in the Inter-Dominion. So a lot of these horses are on the cusp of, in, in the rankings, for the first rankings. They're either on the cusp or just inside. And there's some that are, that are well inside the rankings, but it's a big prize for the winner on Saturday night because they go straight into the Inter-Dominion heats. It's one of the golden ticket races. I'll just go through the field quickly. Mac Dan, drawn one, triple eight. Previous group one winner, drawn two. Mac Dan and Newcastle Mile winner. Bulletproof boy, one of the most lovable horses in the world. Drawn three. Tango Tara four. Western Sonia Dor. He'd need to improve. That'd be the kind of horse if he was able to uh, if he was able to win a Geelong Cup and get his golden ticket, that would be worth everything. Will he go west? I think he'd be driven aggressively. He's a much better horse when he's in front. First two runs back this campaign were good off the speed. Seb's choice, seven for Bulldog Nicholson and David Morris. Interest-free, eight. Max Delight, a Victoria Cup champ going back a little over a year ago in nine. Better be the bomb, 10 for Basil Dooley. Torrid Saint flying, 11. And Crime Rider, who um, won us plenty of money. On Victoria Cup night, drawn 12. The other big feature of the night is the Haraz de Trotters McNamara Memorial Trotters Cup, and it's also a very good race from the standing star, John. Certainly is, and uh, it would be uh, some compensation. Of course, Baltica is trained by eminent Richard Broston, the local trainers here, um, and uh, she's not without a chance. She's off 10 metres, but wouldn't it be nice to see her take out the big uh, McNamara Memorial Trotters Cup after the shocking news we've received in recent times of Maori Law going amiss mm. and uh, not being able to defend his title. So I think a lot, a lot of, lot of people will be barricading for Baltica, but there's some nice horses in it. We've got uh, Hopeful Beauty, uh, one over the hill, uh, Robbie Royale. Um, it's going to be a, a pretty good race, uh, the Mara Trotters Cup. Yeah, and um, yeah, I guess the other local there, uh, Jeffy Webster with Bromwich, who I know he's got a very big opinion of. We, I don't think we've seen the best of Bromwich yet, and it's off the front. We know these days, being off the front, even a 10-metre handicap can make it very, very hard to win these races. But as you mentioned, hopefully uh, we can buck that trend with Baltica winning for Emmett and Richard Brosnan. Anything else you'd like to add in terms of what's going to be available on track on Saturday night? I, I can't wait to get there. And I, what, what I want to see is a big crowd. I don't know whether you've got the vibe in the community that uh, you can get a fairly big crowd out there. What's What, what are the attractions other than um, the wonderful refurbishments and, and the restaurants and the bars? Yeah, the uh, music-wise will be entertained by Michael Stengel from The Voice. Uh, he'll be entertaining the crowd on the night, belting out uh, one or two uh, hit tunes, mate, and uh, you see fit you might have been able to join him at any stage. Look, we've got the kids' activities. We've got the animal farm set up and face painting and all the, all the regular kids' activities. Um, and look, a lot of the uh, we've got a huge under un, undercover area. So if the weather's a little bit inclement. We've got uh, a huge undercover area whereby people can sit and watch the races and uh, enjoy the delights from Bernie's Cafe, the brand new cafe we've built here down at Geelong. Look, the other on-field uh, highlight of the night will be the Lang Trot Final. So. It's a combination of uh, working together with the Warrigal Club and the Geelong Club. Both decided that uh, we wanted to honour both Graham and Gavin Lang. We, in fact, have named the drivers' rooms after uh, Graham and Gavin. 
and uh, their heats were run at Warrigal, where Rogue Gentleman, ironically trained and driven by Chris Lang, broke the track record. He'll start a pretty short price favourite in the Lang Trot final here on Saturday night. And we may well get Chris Lang presenting the, the Lang Trot final trophy to himself. Well, it'll be um, uh, well, it'll be a bit special, wouldn't it? And uh, I'm sure all of our listeners know about the uh, the great Daddy Lang, Graham Lang, and the greatest of the, them all, Gavin Lang. That's a wonderful tribute to have uh, the rooms named after them down there. And I personally, JD, cannot wait to get down there and uh, see all the great work that you've done because it's been a little while since I've been back down to Beckley Park. So looking forward to it, mate. Hopefully everything goes beautifully and we just cross our fingers and toes for better weather than much of the state has had in recent weeks. We certainly are, mate, but uh, we're looking forward to hosting the, the, the evening and uh, getting uh, you guys down here and, in fact, a uh, lot of the public of Geelong for uh, for a, what, what promises to be a fantastic night out. Good on you, JD. Thanks, guys. There's John Dunn. He's looking after things down there at Geelong as we head towards the Geelong Cup down there at Beckley Park. And anybody who's driven in... Uh, from Melbourne down to Geelong, all the other way around, you'll you'll always go passable, depending on which way you go in. But down the right there, uh, all you have to do this time is come down from Melbourne and make a right-hand turn and go into Beckley Park where the bright lights are for what's going to be a magnificent night of racing. I'll be down there and more than happy to catch up for a, a light, refreshing ale after the last. Time for our final break here on the Tuesday edition of Trot's Life. Back in a moment. You're listening to Tuesday Trot's Life with Jason Bonington. Whoa, hello there. About to wind up uh, this edition of Trot's Life and make sure to podcast any of the chats that we had. A nice long chat with Duncan McPherson uh, around a number of things, the flooding uh, that affected Aldebaran Park and the three properties up uh, up there, up Shepparton Way, uh, the win of Aldebaran Keeper, and also just good general chats on the evolution of the trotter and um, uh, the genetic modifications that have that have come from uh, recruiting so many, so many more bloodlines from the northern hemisphere, from the United States, from North America, and also from Europe. As mentioned, uh, we spoke about an article that I wrote recently for the Herald Sun. Where in that Victoria Trotters Oaks on Saturday night at Tabcourt Park Mountain, eleven of the twelve runners were from North American or European size, which is just a staggering thought. And um, the one question I didn't get to with Duncan, I asked him a couple of um, curly ones, but basically. There must be an incredible rivalry there uh, between himself and uh, Emilio Rosati, who's getting into the Trotters, and um, and Pat Driscoll and Yabby Dam Farms. But basically, without all of them, without all of them working towards the same goal, then trotting can't have sort of evolved the way it, it has or had the revolution that it has because really one man, Duncan McPherson and uh, and Michael Taranto back in the day were right at the um, right at the head of the list. In terms of uh, in terms of trying to get this thing off the ground and, and trying to get trotting to be where it is now, but you needed more people. You needed an army of people to keep this going. Um, JC above JD, Shh. I think that's JK for um, JK Rowling, and Jordy Canellis. Uh Yes, well, it's all an opinion game, isn't it? I suppose. But um, and big fella, I will get to the form. This afternoon, so I'll be letting you know even before the Friday form panel my thoughts on your runner there at Beckley Park on Saturday night. Coming up pretty soon, we're going to have a Palmer Bed update 
with uh, our man Lee Dalton, Dalts, uh, to let us know where the money's headed going into the big meeting today, which I believe, am I wrong? It is Geelong Cup Day, I'm pretty sure. So um, hopefully we'll be talking about that. And then who'll be joining us on Trackside? Cam Luke will be joined by who, Jordy Canales? Campbell Brown, I believe. Campbell Brown, I should have known that. Brown Dog, the, the, unbelievable, huge shock, was eating in the courtyard just a moment ago when I went downstairs. I've never known a man... He must have an incredible metabolism still from footy. I'm surprised he didn't bring it up in here. Well, he will. No, that, Normally he's eating it. That will, that will let him. Be, so what, what he'll be doing now, that's his first meal. Okay. Uh, but he, he'll certainly back it up with another meal at some point. Quite incredible. And I need to work out. So last night, I did forget to take a full untouched pizza home. You forgot. I forgot. Okay. It's found its way into the fridge here. Yes, I but, saw it. But I do need... Somebody to give me a timeline as to when the pizza actually got transferred into the fridge. Good point. What time do you think it would need to have, if it was bought around 9 o'clock or 8.30, mm-hmm. what time would it have needed to go in the fridge to, to remain edible and not to see me vomiting for the next 72 hours? Uh, I don't know officially what it is, but I'd probably say, depends how hot it was, because it might retain the heat. Would you say an hour? What's, would you leave a pizza out for an hour? You probably would. I think an hour. An I think, hour's fine because you might leave a pizza out for an hour or so. If well, just... I left around ten twenty or ten ten twenty five. I'm comfortable if it was in there before midnight. I think if, yeah. as long as somebody didn't find it this morning, they've come in at nine yeah. o'clock and thrown it in there. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, there are prawns involved here as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking from your. We might be thinking the same way. It's just it, it might just be a no. It might just be a no. Unless I can get. Can we absolute... check the, there's cameras in here? Can we check the cameras? I need. I, well, I, I would need definitive com, uh, confirmation that it was actually put away before twelve. Or I can't be eating those prawns, the anchovies. But another fun edition of Trot's Life. Hopefully you've enjoyed. As I mentioned, a Palmer Bed update coming up in just a moment with Lee Dalton, and after that, hours and hours of winners on trackside. Au revoir.